Well, good morning, friends. It is so good to see you and to be with you. We have, over these summer months, June, July, and August, we have been lingering in the book of the Psalms. And it has been a good journey, hasn't it? And today we conclude this series, and I'd like for us to reflect on Psalm 23, which is perhaps the best-known chapter in the Bible. Um, Some of us may be asking, what new thing can I learn from this chapter? Um, And others of us perhaps are here today and you've never even heard, you've not heard the psalm before. You're newer to discovering these pages of scripture. But my prayer for all of us is that we might learn something more today, all of us, of the secret of living with contentment and joy, peace, and security, and the beautiful promises that God gives to us through Psalm 23. Uh, Some of you really may be facing some great big changes this season. We know that in many ways, as we come into September, it's like New Year here at our church, and a new year for the life of many people. And Some of you are walking through some big changes right now. I pray that you can take this with you. Um. One other thing I just want to say before we get started is some of you have memorized Psalm 23. Is that right? How many of you memorized it in the King James Version? Look at those hands. Okay, so you've memorized it, and not only have you memorized it, but you've memorized it in that older translation saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, here's one thing. Many of you have memorized this psalm, All of you have memorized um, songs. Uh, Some of you have memorized uh, movie lines, word perfect, where you can quote a whole movie, you know, word for word. Now, when we memorize scripture, we take charge of our thoughts. And when we focus on God's promises, then our our Thoughts turn into a good direction when we focus on God's word. In any case, let me invite you to memorize, if you haven't yet, to memorize one verse from Psalm 23. Or if you're ready for a bigger challenge, to really memorize the whole psalm, all six verses, so that you can be shaped by this message. And what we've done, just to have a little bit of variety, is um, the scripture reading was read in the New International Version, and that is more typically the translation that we use here. But on the back of your bulletin, it's printed in the King James Version, and then printed also in the New Living Translation, just so you can compare some of the different translations as we go through it. And what we're going to do is we're going to go phrase by phrase, and I want to ask you this question. I'm going to start at the beginning. I'll ask you at the end, which one of these phrases do you need to carry with you today? There is a phrase that God is going to call you to carry with you today. So let's go. The Lord is my shepherd. In the book of Psalms, there are different ways of describing who God is. Psalm 18, God is my rock. Psalm Psalm 27, God is my light. Psalm 46, God is my refuge. Psalm 74, God is my king. But here, the Lord is my shepherd. 
my shepherd, this, this person who guides me along the way. While in the Old Testament, God is described as a shepherd over all of the people of Israel, this is a unique verse because here, God is the shepherd of one person, of you. It's unique because in so many other passages, God is the shepherd of the people of Israel. But now it's, the Lord is my shepherd. David is able to write with such intimate force that the Lord is my shepherd. This verse prepares us for the New Testament story of Jesus, where he talks of a caring sheep, a caring shepherd, who leaves the flock to go out on the search for that one lost sheep. And that's you. He's gone for you. Now David, who wrote this psalm, was himself a shepherd before he became a king. He knew that sheep depended on their shepherd. Philip Keller, who wrote, um, who wrote on Psalm 23, has some unite, unique insight because he was a shepherd himself. And he writes this, sheep do not take care of themselves. They require more attention and meticulous care than any other class of livestock. It's good to let this image sink in. Sheep need care. You are a sheep. This verse does not say, I am the lone wolf. I take care of myself. (laughs) It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. We are not designed to take care of ourselves. That's what this psalm says. We cannot take care of ourselves. We are not made to be independent of God's shepherding presence in our lives. And now the next phrase. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. That was the NIV. I shall not want, King James Version, or the New Living Translation, I have everything I need. Now, when I am aware of the caring presence of the Good Shepherd, David continues, I lack nothing. Um, This shepherd, Philip Keller, wrote about one sheep uh, in his flock that had the fatal flaw of discontentment. He writes this, uh, this uh, shepherd writes about this one sheep. She was the most attractive sheep that ever belonged to me. She had an excellent coat of wool. But in spite of all these attractive attributes, she had one pronounced fault. She was restless, discontented. She was a fence crawler. No matter what field or pasture the sheep were in, she would search along all the fences looking for a loophole she could crawl through and start to feed on the other side. It was not that she lacked pasturage. My fields were her joy and delight, but she was simply never contented with the things as they were. Often, when she had forced her way through some such spot in the fence, she would end up feeding on bare, brown, burned-up pasturage of a most inferior sort. She was a sheep who, in spite of all that I had done to give her the very best care, still wanted something else. She was not like the one who said, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. 
you know, what's the whole point of the advertising industry? There are a lot of commercials, aren't there? Um, I'm starting to look for another car. And now the f- my phone knows, my phone knows all the time that I'm starting to look for a car. And every time I turn on my phone again, there's another ad telling me, buy this car, buy this car. You know, it, it's to make you feel like advertising The whole point of advertising is to make you think your life is going to be better when you get this next product, right? You're going to be happier. You're going to be more fulfilled when you get this next product. Imagine walking into the mall with your friends and they ask you, what store do you want to go to? And you say, I lack nothing. Some people would look at you and just say, you're really weird. What do you mean you, you don't need anything? Now, when, when David says, I shall not want, it doesn't mean that we'll never have any requests or needs. It doesn't mean we'll never have any problems. Think of David. He wrote Psalm 23. He said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Think of David's life. What, what, what stage of life did he write this in? He, when he was younger, he was rejected by his family. Um, then he got a little older and he spent the years hiding in caves and then was hated by King Saul. And then he got older and then he had problems with his kids. You know, what stage of life was he without any problems in? In many ways, you might look at his life and say, wow, he was a failure. And during all this time, He had an intimate relationship with God. I shall not want means I am settled to know that the shepherd knows my real needs and I can trust him to provide the best gifts. I like what Dallas Willard writes. What is described in the 23rd Psalm is not something that is reserved for a few peculiar people that we read about in the Bible. It's an expression of God's intent for every human being. Everyone. And from the human side, the life without lack is simply a matter of having one's mind fully and constantly fixed on God as he is. Confident that he will provide everything we need. So, I lack nothing. Will, will I do this? Will I choose the contentment of the good shepherd for everything that he brings along the way? He refreshes my soul. How does God refresh my soul? The psalm says, by making me lie down in green pastures. Get that. Not just, um, he makes me lie down. And then by leading me beside the still waters. It's like, honestly, it's like a forced rest. I love my little granddaughter. Um, okay, so if I was showing lots of pictures, I have lots on my phone. I'll show you some pictures on my phone of my granddaughter. won't put any up on the screen right now. Um, she's 16 months old, and she has this battery that hardly seems ever to stop. She's this little energizer bunny. And what a delight 
But I have been with her long enough, and I have spent days with her where she starts getting overtired. And then she gets exhausted, and she doesn't even know how to slow down. She gets grumpier and grumpier, and then she needs to be guided, made to rest. So what do we have to do? I've done this before. I strap her into her stroller. You know, she's kind of forced down, and she just settles down. And then I go for a walk, and she just collapses into a deep sleep. And then an hour later, she has this great big smile on her face and she's ready to go again. You know, so many of us know what it's like to be busy. We're gearing up for September. It's back to school. You know, we feel maybe you're getting ready for a wedding. Um, maybe it's just busy for you. It's, it's a busy season. And the author of this psalm knows this. We can neglect the state of our soul. How much am I like my little granddaughter, not even knowing when rest is needed? This part of the psalm says, you and I need to tend to our interior lives because your soul is fragile. Your soul needs to be tended. Your soul, the Bible says, your soul can be lost. The Bible says you can sell your soul and give it away for something inferior. But your soul can also be refreshed. And that's what the Good Shepherd wants to do for us. His good goal is to lead us on this good path of righteousness. I will choose to care for my soul. The next phrase here, um, I'm going to walk through valleys. I will walk through valleys. In our lives, there will be pain. There will be joy. Both of those things we are going to experience in our life. But in the end, joy will win. So if joy has not yet won completely, the end has not yet come. It was um, a good number of years ago, the last church I served in, I went to a hospital bedside where a man in our church had died. And his wife was coming to grips with this very fresh loss. And I brought my Bible along and I opened the scriptures to Psalm 23 as the grieving wife was standing beside her husband who had just passed away. And I read the 23rd Psalm. And when I came to this verse from the King James Version, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, she stopped me. She said, stop. She said, did you notice that that verse says, I walk through the valley? She highlighted that little preposition, through. Did you notice it? That preposition, through. You do not stay in the valley, but you walk through the valley. I don't know what you are walking through, but I want to remind you, as this friend did to me, that there is another side. Where you are now with your trouble, and yes, I do not want to minimize it, but this is not a final stop. So will you choose this? I choose to trust God that my valley is not the end. 
And then it continues to say, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Notice the shift now. There, there is a shift in this part of the psalm where I will fear no evil. Notice the shift. In the first few verses, we read about what he will do. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down. He leads me. He restores my soul. But now the shepherd is right beside me and is guiding me. And it's not, um, and not that it is you are with me. Now it is you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It moves to a more personal basis yet. It's this growing journey of intimacy that calms him. It's this that takes away the fear. The dark valley. I know some people go through a dark valley and they say, well, maybe maybe I'm not going to hold on to this faith anymore that I've been holding on to. The dark valley is not a place to take a break from God. The dark valley is not a place to pull away from community of those who hold you up in love. In the darkness, you may not even be able to see your hand in front of you. You know what it's like to walk in darkness and not see even the next step. But you can be comforted by his presence. The central promise of the Bible is which? What's the central promise of the Bible? It's not, I will forgive you. That is a beautiful Christian teaching. We depend on it, this good truth. The central promise of the Bible is not even the insurance of life after death. Although this is a good promise, we hold on to this teaching. We present this to others. But the most frequent promise that we find in the Bible is God's promise is that he is with us. This promise is made to Noah and to Abraham and Sarah and to Jacob and Joseph and Moses and David and Amos and Mary and Paul. It's made to too many other people to list. And at the end of the time, at the end of all the age, the promise is made in Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. God is with you. God is with us. I have another question as I think of that part of the psalm though is, my, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. How is it that a rod brings comfort? How can that be? Aren't you, are you not a little perplexed about that? Your rod and your staff, they bring comfort. Here are two poles of wood. The rod, what's it used for in this verse? The rod is actually the stick that beats away the enemies. And the staff is guiding and steering the sheep onto the right path. Isn't it a comfort to know that the shepherd does everything possible, including risking one's own life to rescue sheep from danger? Think now with me, perhaps creatively, in the New Testament there are also two poles of wood to make a cross. And in this overwhelming act of love, where these two pieces of wood come together, we are comforted.
the good shepherd is near. I choose to trust God in my fears because the shepherd is near. Maybe that's the phrase you read right now. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Why is this part of the psalm here? It seems like a strange transition, doesn't it? I don't know if I want my enemies around me. Just send them away. You prepare a table before me with my enemies far away and gone. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Why is this here? I'm still struggling with understanding that part of the verse. Maybe you can help me with it later, but I want to give you a few suggestions. In a few minutes, we're going to come to to this communion table, a table that the Good Shepherd has prepared for us. And the Good Shepherd invites us to share in this meal along with everyone else who has placed their trust in Jesus. And first of all, it's important to remember that in the letters of Paul in the New Testament, we are described like this. All of us are described like this. If we're followers of Jesus, we were enemies with God. Enemies with God. And we now have been reconciled to Christ through his death for us. Colossians 1, you'll read that. Christ invites us who were once enemies around this banquet table. I need this table. And then next, we want to invite others to gather around this table with us, don't we? We want this to be good news for the world. We want to be in the presence of other people where we can invite them here. And we are called, in fact, in the New Testament, Jesus urges us to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us. What enemy do you need to invite? What enemy do you need to be praying for? What is an enemy? It's just, you know what? Sometimes an enemy can be your family member. It's the person that you're at odds with in this very moment. It's the person that you're having a difficulty with right now to bless that person and to invite them into a restored relationship. Maybe it's just true that we're still going to have people that we're at odds with. And there will still be difficult people around us that we're going to face. But this is the very place where I can trust God. I don't have to wait until I get to heaven. I can trust God right now, even when I'm in the midst of difficulties around me, that I can still trust that God will prepare a feast for me and show his love to me. Maybe that's what you need to choose to trust, is I choose to trust even with my enemies around me. I'm still trusting that God will prepare this feast and give me his goodness. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Can you identify his goodness and his mercy in your life here and now? Not just some of the days, but each day. 
even the hard ones? Can you trust so that you know that goodness and mercy are like the sheepdogs nipping at your heels, pursuing you every day of your life? I choose to live by faith, delighting in God's goodness and mercy. And the psalm concludes simply by saying, I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The sheep here is so satisfied with the care of the good shepherd. The sheep lacks nothing. We have this picture of of sheep being um, wandering animals, right? They always have to go to the next place for pasture. They're They're always on the move. Sheep are continually moving. Maybe that's like you and me, but here the sheep are settled, content and at peace in the Father's presence. I'm going to ask you, if you want to, you can just take your bulletin and just look at that back page again. And you know we've looked at that those phrases. And whether you want to circle it or underline it or highlight it, say which phrase you feel like Jesus is speaking to you now and inviting you to place your trust in the Good Shepherd. I'm going to take a moment just where you can just look at that and then reflect on that. And then in just a moment, after we've had a few seconds to reflect, I'd like to pray with you. Lord, we trust in you today. Not because we are strong, but because you are the good shepherd. We trust in you because we understand our identity as sheep who are prone to wander. We understand our identity as sheep who need the guidance of a good shepherd with a rod and a staff. And it brings us comfort. Oh God, you're good to us. And we pray that you would prepare us now as we meet and have a feast around this table. And we want to celebrate your goodness and your mercy that pursues us again today. So speak to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name.